The importance of emotes in Twitch's dominance. I'm curious, do you think Twitch would be as successful as it is today if it didn't have the custom emotes? Love your content, by the way. I do think that the original Twitch culture, the emotes and whatnot, were a contributing factor to the success of Twitch. But I don't think they were the deciding factor that led to it being the dominant platform over its competitors. But I, it could have been for all I know, because I wasn't around during the er early period where there were a lot of competing smaller platforms trying to get ahead. I can't tell you exactly why Twitch became the dominant platform over, what was it, like X-Fire or something? I don't know. I, I, I hear stories from, you know, Destiny and um, Soda Poppin' and stuff over, over the years talking about these earlier platforms. Uh, I don't know. I do think that the emotes and the identifiable Twitch brand or whatever helped it. And certainly emotes help um, get additional subscribers and people interested in, in interactions in the chat and whatnot. I mean, like when people talked about YouTube, people said, ah, oh, but they won't have the same emotes as Twitch. I don't like the way the emotes are set up on YouTube. That people would make those comments shows that emotes are important. But as I've noted these days, when you look at the emotes that people use a lot, a substantial portion of them are better to achieve emotes. Frank of AC emotes, these kind of things. Like the, the people who care the most about emotes and probably who the plat their platform of choice might be influenced by the emotes on there are people who are using third party things to, to do the emotes that they desire. What I mean is, the amount of people that Twitch is holding to this platform based on emotes is probably a lot smaller than it might have been in the past, you know. Imagine Forsen's chat without emotes, it would just still be the same spam as before. I think it was a mistake for Twitch not to allow GIFs in some limited capacity, like allowing each channel to have one GIF or something. I mean, that they eventually did for Cheers, it's not really sufficient, right? Because the thing that enabled Better Twitch TV's rise was basically gifts. It had gifts. Twitch did not. Do I think that things like Better Twitch TV would have still come about with endless emote customizations and stuff? It, when when small channels don't have access to normal normal emote slots, of course they're going to look towards third-party things that will give them those slots. You know, but without the benefit of gifts, I don't think Better Twitch TV would have taken off as readily as it did, or it would have been slower to grow. I mean, but I can't know that for certain. I'm just. Speculating. My inclusion in Flying Kitty's YouTube Rewind. It was very flattering. Um, for those who didn't see, um, Flying Kitty uh, uh, included me, um, me dabbing, you know, my green screen of me dabbing, in their contribution to the YouTube Rewind. It got cut from the full version. I don't really care about that. It's not like if it was included in the full version, I would have gained um, followers from it or something. But that I was included at all is very flattering. It suggests that at least the, that my content has some relevance or had some relevance in 2020 or whatever. I don't watch a lot of Flying Kitty stuff, um, but I know they're very talented. And that is, uh, I, I was certainly flattered being included even in such a small way, you know. The difficulty in finding proficient editors. If I message out, are there anyone who wants to edit for me? I get tons of people who, who say yes, but they all end up failing. The last time I asked for people, for editors, I think maybe 30 people sent me emails or whatever. 
Of those, 10 looked okay. Of those, seven ended up getting footage. Of those, three completed the task and only one did it satisfactorily. And the consequence of that is uh, a heap of Among Us footage hasn't been processed. I have learned now from many, many years, okay, okay, like two years of trying to find competent editors, people vastly overestimate their capabilities. Vastly. It is a lot harder than you think to edit a YouTube video well. Like, I, I go back and look at the content I used to edit a year ago, and it's so much worse than what I do now. But I have the benefit of editing every single day. When you're just a regular person or whatever, like I'll, I'll, a person will say, oh, I've got like three years experience editing. And by three years experience, they mean like they've made like four videos over the course of three years. When you're at my level, you, you need editors who are experienced, but you recognize that the average person doesn't really have, they don't really live a life that, that gives them the kind of experience that you want them to have so they can do things proficiently. Like, I can say that my editing skills two years ago, I would not accept in another person. Or to phrase it another way, saying to me, you can edit for me, cool. There's heaps of people out there who have the time to edit for me. Finding people who have the proficiency to edit for me is extraordinarily difficult. And understand, I still have lower standards than probably a lot of people do. Because, well, it, it, it's debatable. Because while I have higher standards for my content, I still work on every single video. So even if your video isn't exactly what I want, I will put those hours in to make it exactly what I want. All I need is for you to do enough work that it saves me time. An ideal editor is a person who makes a video so perfect they don't have to touch it at all. That is extraordinarily rare, even for the editors I have right now. The editors I need are simply those that save me time. That I can say, okay, communicating with you and all that jazz took an hour and the work you've done will save me three hours of time. And that's it. If you knew how to edit, you just create your own content. Not all editors necessarily have the kind of personality that leads it, leads them to be able to make content like what I create, you know? I think there are very few editors that edit, you know, regularly that don't make their own videos, right? But they're rarely as popular as um, the people they edit for. Like PewDiePie's editors or whatever. They've built kind of uh, some notoriety and, uh, and, and they make their own content and stuff and they have hundreds of thousands of subscribers, right? But editing content is not necessarily the same thing as making your own content from scratch or having ideas for contents from scratch. Um, the best editors are those who are really entertaining, of course, and can think of their own ideas like that. My use of the C word. The C word is uh, received differently globally than it is in Australia. I mean, it's not like in Australia that you can be in some official capacity and say the C word without it you know, raising some eyebrows, but it is far more accepted here. But as a content creator who is global, I don't use the word except in particular circumstances. And as my brand isn't I'm the Australian guy doing Australian things. Uh, there's no reason for me to play it up through the use of that word. I have no problems with it. But uh, YouTube doesn't like it. I imagine Twitch doesn't like it. A global audience cringes at it. So why use it, you know? Besides, 
this isn't a super a conscious choice, as in it wasn't a word that I would normally use to begin with. Like you may notice that I swear very frequently, and the words that I use that are swear words are the words that I've always used, you know? Yes, disingenuous dense motherfucker is my uh, go-to swear word. It's just Yanks who don't like it? Nah, 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 Americans don't like it. I, I remember being on a bus. I've told this story before. I was on a bus with my friends, and I called someone the C-word. And, like, we were we were probably you know, 18 to 20 or something, that kind of age. And this this old bloke sounded American. Says, hey, don't use that word. And it was just the most confusing situation to me. That a person would care enough that they would literally confront a pack of young people to criticize them for the use of a word. Now, caring at all about the use of the word is weird. Caring enough to confront a stranger is weird. Caring enough to confront a random group of older teenagers, that's even more weird. Being like 50, looking like a weak dude on a bus, a place where you couldn't even run away if they wanted to attack you or something, even more weird. I mean, obviously, in no way we were going to hurt, hurt this person, but that guy couldn't have possibly known that. He had to take the stand against the use of that word. Very strange. The first games I played as a kid and the horrors of playing Echo the Dolphin. What was the first game that I played? It would have been one of the games on Sega Mega Drive or it would have been the typing game on this old green DOS computer that my parents had. The typing game where you, you type letters before the words hit the ground uh, on the bottom of the screen. And if uh, too many words hit the bottom of the screen, you, you fail. And so you could set it, it's like it's just a typing game, you know. With Sega, you know, Echo the Dolphin and uh, I had this multi-game thing that had Golden Axe and uh, Revenge of Shinobi and Tetris or Columns as it was called. Uh, Guns to Heroes, these, these kind of first games. My first computer game that I can remember is uh, Diablo 1, but I'm sure there were ones before that. H how do you remember this far along, you know? Echo the Dolphin though will always stand out to me because of how twisted and scary that game is. Like you, you go into a gaming store and you're like, oh, this is a dolphin, this is a dolphin game. Oh, that looks very nice. I will give this to my son. And then you start playing and uh, the story is basically aliens capture all the dolphins from the ocean. I guess to eat them or something, I'm not sure. And the music in it is so fucking scary and everything screams at you. And like there's, there's these moving octopuses and, and when they touch you, your, your, your dolphin's just like screeching bloody murder. It's so scary. We, like, we couldn't get past like the first or second stage or some shit like that. And I've told this story many times before. And we eventually got cheat codes to teleport us to the final stage. And seeing the final boss, this huge green alien in, in this metal factory or whatever, uh, it was so scarring as a kid. Like, look that shit up and think what that would do to like a seven-year-old or whatever the hour old I was. Do I like it? Even now, I think it would freak me out playing it. I think Echo the Dolphin probably sits in the back of my mind somewhere, uh, increasing my fear of the ocean. That's what I think. But I mean, I think a lot of, like, I think it's pretty normal for people to fear the deep ocean to a degree, right? I should play it again? <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of funny, I suppose. To see if I could actually get through it, because it was a very convoluted, confusing game. 
I did finish a Sega game on stream once upon a time. It was called uh, Jewel Masters. One, uh, another game from my childhood that I really enjoyed. Where you combine rings together to make different spells. Okay, I'm, I'm repeating stories now, guys. I don't normally repeat this many ramble stories, but I guess a lot of you are new. And, like, I got to the final boss on stream, and it just kept wrecking me over and over again. And I was so confused why I couldn't beat this boss. It was so unbelievably difficult. And I thought, well, this is just how games back then were, because they wanted to eat your, eat your coins or whatever in the, in the arcades. But I kept trying and trying over and over again. I'm like, how the fuck could any child have beaten this game? And eventually I started using save states, so like whenever I would take damage, I would just load back the save. Because I was using an emulator. And still couldn't win. So then I googled why I couldn't win. It turns out that to beat the final boss, you have to combine your four best gems together. And it gives you this magic sword that like three hits the boss. And then I did that and just went, da da da, and the boss exploded. I was like, well that was a waste of an hour, <laughs> you know. I don't know if there was a riddle somewhere that explained that, but I didn't, I, I, it did not make that clear. I felt really dumb. That footage still exists, and uh, if I can find someone to edit that older stuff, I, um, I'll i have it released one day. Uh, Echo is a series. The, I at least know there's two games. I had both the first and second as a kid. Getting cancelled as an online content creator. They're gonna cancel me? So, Devin Nash released this video that I thought was very accurate in regards to cancel culture, right? It is extraordinarily rare for a person who gets cancelled to actually get cancelled in regards to people who, um, whose job it is to remain in people's consciousness, you know? Um, if you're a public figure, you make content online, whatever it is, it's very hard for you to actually get cancelled because people just start talking about you and people talking about you in general is good, earned media, as, as Devin Nash would call it. Your name just gets out there more and so the people who would never have known of you now know of you and agree with you. I really like watching Devin Nash's video because he argued something I've argued in the past that in, rela in related to um, drama or controversy, regardless of what you do, it seems as though the best thing you can do for, for your own benefit, um, while it isn't necessarily honest or good for other people, it's best for you, is to say nothing. Just fucking vanish. Controversy happens, whatever it is, just say nothing and disappear. Come back in a few months when the the cycle of what people care about or whatever has, has changed. Never mention it, never respond to it, and it will just all blow over. Because people can't stay focused on one particular thing forever. Um, especially when the person isn't fanning the flames of that shit, you know? It's important to note that when a person is cancelled, and they're a public figure or whatever, and that the, the norm for that is, is for a person to grow in terms of their influence because more people talk about them, whatever. It's important to remember that even if the person's platform grows, uh, that person can still suffer, suffer emotionally. Receiving a lot of negative attention, even if it can benefit you in regards to your business, your online profile, how many people know of you, your viewership numbers, whatever, it can still take a toll on you mentally. Like when people talk about baiting controversy, man, to get yourself more views, people who do that must be have like the minds of the uh, minds of steel. Because I, I think that an average person, a normal person, that would just they would just fucking get destroyed mentally. Like I only received a tiny amount of negative attention from the dream thing, 
and the vast majority was positive, really. Especially for those who matter. But even that was just like, ah, oh, goddamn. <laughs> this is so tiring, <laughs> you know. I, I can't imagine these people, uh, that, that, that apparently exists. Like, people will accuse people of just, you know, being drama. Like, like Keemstag, for example. The average person would go insane dealing with the level of, uh, hatred, justified as it is, that, uh, Keemstar deals with, you know. It's certainly changing your minds, uh, as a public figure is, uh, a thing that you always experience backlash over. Because you, uh, you bring around yourself people who agree with you, and then when you change your mind, the people who you've already rejected or, or have moved on, who you now agree with, they, they won't hear about it, but the people who you now disagree with are those who are going to hear most about it and are going to give you the most shit. The removal of PogChamp from Twitch. So apparently, Twitch is doing a new PogChamp emote every 24 hours. I guess they're trying to find the one that people like the most. People keep assing Twitch with my PogChamp emote. I sincerely doubt they're going to use it. DViperChamp, way better than PogChamp right now. Thoughts on the PogChamp getting removed? I agree with the sentiment that so few people even knew the person who was the face of PogChamp. Like, they didn't know about the statements that he had made in the past or whatever. Who he was. Is Gutex or something his name was. Uh, I only heard in passing a while ago that apparently he's a fucking nutball. Uh, Anti-vax. Weird fuck. And like, I didn't particularly care. Admittedly, his call for violence effectively by saying that person shouldn't have died in vain. Uh, like, it goes a little bit far. The opinions of PogChamp are separate from the emos? True. But then again, there's always going to be some line where Twitch's association with this emote... Okay, let's, let's go to extremes. You can go to extremes to explain the principle, right? Let's say that Twitch had a Hitler emote. A very popular Hitler emote, and it was just Hitler waving or whatever. Now, now in that extreme situation, you can go, Okay, I can see how Twitch might have issues in terms of their branding if that emote was very popular. Having Twitch be able to come out and go, well, I mean, we, we don't we don't approve of anything Hitler did, you know, it's just an emote. That's going to fall on deaf ears for a lot of people. It's going to impact Twitch's ability to get advertisers and stuff. Now, obviously, Gutex isn't Hitler, but you can see how that principle has to come into play at some point. And we can disagree when that comes into play. Let's say Gutex raped children. At that point, I think you go, well, clearly, I think they had to do something. This, at this point, it's just ambiguous as to what he actually did and how much people were even aware of what he did as to whether or not the action was really justified. The, the principle makes sense. Whether it should apply in this case is something that's debatable. I am of the view, I suppose, that I don't think Gutex had brought enough attention to himself that Twitch was likely going to suffer for the emote still being on the platform and still being associated in some small way with the dude. I don't think that point had been reached yet. Like, the only reason I know of Gutex's statements is because of Twitch. I don't think the tweet had a lot of likes or whatever before this point. And I do agree that the emote was divorced enough from the persons who originally made the face that it didn't really matter. So if I was in Twitch's shoes, I don't think I would have made the same decision that they did. But I totally understand the principle of what led them to make the decision they did. 
I can understand wanting to protect your brand, advertisers, da-da-da. And that one emote is not going to be the the most important thing for the platform, right? I don't think they're getting enough value out of that emote. Is that true, uh, clinically, that he didn't like the emotes and uh, just removing it makes him happy and brings him more attention? I don't think that matters. Gutex's feelings on the matter, that, that wouldn't matter at all to Twitch, right? It's not like Twitch could have kept the emote as revenge or something, it's just a random dude. If it makes Gutex happy or sad, it's completely irrelevant to why- or, or, or it's completely relevant to the the basis under which Twitch should be making decisions. As a company, you can't, or at least you shouldn't be, doing actions specifically to make one particular individual happy, or one particular individual sad. You've got grander concerns than that. People being banned on social media for different opinions. It was interesting, like I got, I got recommended a video by Memeology, and uh, he's also a, a weird fuckwit, but he's uh, he's like, man, look at these people getting banned or censored just because they have a different opinion from the establishment. It's like, it's you always have these disingenuous fucks who want to present a reaction to a particular point of view as just a different way of seeing things, man. It's like if I advocate for slaughtering children, and I get banned for that. They'll be like, oh man, just because you have a different opinion, bro, you get banned, man. It, as if it's not the content of the opinion, uh, rather than simply being different, that is uh, the real important thing. It's like when Trump got banned on Twitter. Immediately people come out of the woodwork, oh man, just because you have a different political opinion, bro, it means you get banned, man. It's like, no, because no, it's incitement of violence, dude. Like, it, it doesn't matter your p political opinion. It's... Or, or what your motivation for that is, that can get you banned. Nah, man, it's just a different viewpoint, bro. It's because grappling with the actual content of what led the sanction to come about is a lot more ambiguous and doesn't necessarily fit the narrative you want to present. So you need to water it down because the person you're speaking to might not agree with uh, the position, or, or they, they might agree or might not agree with the position that actually led to the person to being being banned, or might agree or disagree with that that opinion should lead a person to be banned. But if you keep watering it down to, it, they were banned for a different opinion, no one's ever gonna agree with that. No one, no one is ever going to agree that simply having a difference of opinion should lead you to be banned, or, or receive any sanction. And so that's why they uh, present it in this dishonest way. To get as many people on their side as possible. It's not about honesty, it's about the clicks, it's about the likes. Going by the TOS, clearly Trump should have been banned on Twitter a long time ago. It is a separate... So it can be the case that sometimes you can disagree with the TOS. Like, for example, if, if there's a situation where a, a TOS has changed specifically to give justification to ban someone, that would be wrong. Uh, it is possible you have, you have arguments against whatever the person is being banned for in regards to the TOS. That's also fine. But clearly, every time a person is banned from, for violations of a TOS, that's not censorship. It's a, it's a dumb position to have. If incitements of violence and jeopardizing the peaceful transition of power and jeopardizing democratic elections isn't something that can justifiably get you banned, then what can get you banned? I suppose discussions of the power that these platforms have and the influence that they have is a separate question. But obviously no individual user should be above the TOS, right?
You'd think by now, people would stop with that fucking meme whenever anyone gets banned on social media, where they're like, THIS IS AMERICA! WE GOT FREEDOM OF SPEECH HERE IN AMERICA! Right? Like, you've got to imagine this is still 14 yards because it's such a, a, a tired fucking meme by, by this point. Like, because it's, it's such a tired meme that even people globally know the response to that. Where it's, freedom of speech, as it is enshrined in the Constitution, only protects you against censorship from the government. That's it. That's nothing to do with private entities. If you want to make an argument that this is not good for society on the basis of a principle of freedom of speech, where you believe the sharing of ideas is good for society, and therefore this person getting banned and their lesser ability to share their ideas is worse for society, make that argument. But you can't just say, freedom of speech! you got to have an argument uh, that relates to the principle of the greater sharing of ideas. Emotion and external factors in changing minds. I will say, and it's a controversial opinion, can be very controversial right, there. The more I've learned about human psychology, the more I realize that th this idea that like the best ideas win or some shit is nonsense. The things that motivate people to change their minds or motivate change in the in the dominant opinion in society, I don't think is two guys sitting in a chair having a reasons debate and the, the best arguments just winning out. I think it all relates to emotion, the tribe, what ideas are popular, what ideas best lead to people being able to achieve the positive feelings and avoid the negative feelings in their particular environments. The idea of a person feeling shame for holding a particular idea is, I think, more powerful than an argument against that idea. If a person views holding a particular opinion as detrimental to their ability to achieve their goals, in their environments, or makes them feel bad because their friends don't like them or whatever. Th those those feelings are so much more powerful than someone saying, "Well, if you look at this statistical analysis on page seventy-four, if you if you if you, you cross-tabulate these, and you'll find that actually your position is not really based in reality, sir." Far less impactful. What ideas people hear first, the context under which they hear them, the way that the person is speaking when they say them, these things matter so much more than what it says on page 74 in some document. The dumbest ideas presented well can travel so much further in the minds of people than the greatest ideas presented poorly. And don't get me wrong, when I was saying before that the emotional content and the mo emotional things surrounding a discussion are more important than the than the actual substance of the discussion. The substance of the discussion still does matter, right? Especially on issues that aren't necessarily emotional, or when people don't have strong ties or um, strong external forces compelling them to hold a particular viewpoint. You know, if you want to convince a person that the cost of a cheeseburger is $3 instead of $2 or whatever, the, the facts and presenting that really doesn't matter. If you want to have an argument about which cheeseburgers are better, McDonald's or Burger King, you know, as <laughs> less matters what the, the facts are in regards to like the content of the burger or something, I don't know. Maybe a bad example. I suppose when you're a public figure, it's almost like every topic there is external forces compelling you to have a particular viewpoint. When you're an average person, especially when you haven't expressed your opinion openly, uh, you're more free to change your minds on basically anything. 
without uh, repercussion. The usefulness and universality of censorship. So I'm of the view, right, that I don't think censorship is in any way, shape or form a one-sided issue. In that, at every point in time in history where any particular group is in power, there is always some aspect of that group that is interested in censoring the opposing side. Because censorship is just very expedient in terms of uh, increasing your influence. Because it's very hard for people to come to an opposing viewpoint or to be given information about opposing viewpoint if that information just doesn't exist out there in the world. Whether it be like um, anti-blasphemy laws making it so you can't be critical of religion or all the stuff in the 90s or whatever that video games are evil or you know, bring the bring the video game creators to Congress or the music people to before Congress or whatever. All these attempts to censor video games and music and, and da da da. The, the, the best example I found coming from one of my textbooks back in the day, um, pornography. You had the most religious conservative people arguing against pornography and that it should be censored and the most liberal anti-religious people arguing the exact same thing for completely different reasons. Both arguing for censorship. Like, it's just expedient. Censorship. Don't think for a moment that, oh, if we just get these people in power, man, censorship will stop. It'll, it'll always be that. It'll always be something that you've got to fight against. Or at least censorship that you think is unjustified. No, I, I don't think censorship is extreme. It, it, is, it is literally a tool to achieve an end. For the reasons I talked about before, like that, that humans have a bias in favor of believing the first thing they hear and believing it's stronger every time that they don't have their minds changed. You can understand immediately why censorship is valuable knowing that about human psychology. Because you want your idea to be the first one that people hear. If the other idea is the one that they first hear, you're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm fighting an uphill battle now. Like it's certainly not fair and rampant censorship, I think, would be a bad society to live in. But you can understand how it ex has existed as a tool literally forever. And why every political persuasion does it to some degree when they have the power to do so. It is very hard when you have the power to, to put a stop on those you disagree with or you find repugnance and to instead be charitable and let them thrive. Because you're effectively just making it harder for yourself to propagate your own ideas. There are issues right now that no one knows about. It's like, it's like what, what's your opinion on, like I could make something up and you wouldn't have an opinion on it because you know nothing about it. It is true that things that can be repressed sometimes still grow, but it's harder for them to grow. You, you can't say that censorship does not have an ability to repress ideas. It simply does. But it can be the case that uh, censorship is insufficient or impossible if an idea is uh, has enough external motivations for it, you know? Something doesn't have to be absolutely perfect in doing something for that thing to have an effect, a measurable effect on that something, right? It's an argument that people often incorrectly use against regulation. If something has an effect of reducing the amount of something, it still reduces the amount, even if it doesn't completely stop that something, you know? Why I hate my rambles sometimes. Do I extend rambles because I know they're gonna be rambles? No. Uh, often I feel annoyed at myself whenever I listen to my rambles back 
because there's always more I could have said. The way that I would present my views and the way that I would argue my points in writing is very different than the way that I do it in a, in a ramble when I'm just speaking to you guys right now. It's never good enough. I have never said enough. When I listen to the ramble back, I'm like, oh, I know what dumb shit people are going to say in response to this. It's going to be this, this, this. And that's so easy to explain why those uh, rebuttals or arguments are all so dumb. But I know that I ha because I haven't addressed them, people are going to be hold to those things and either criticize me in the comments or are not going to change their minds because they weren't addressed. Anime I'm currently watching. Do I watch anime? I do. Currently uh, still keeping up with... Um, was a Jiu-Jitsu, Sorcerer, One Piece, Attack on Titan. I tried watching more episodes of Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon? And the most recent season is so fucking cringe. Oh my god. I want to watch that, uh, that other one with the ditzy goddess, the fire chick, the knight who likes pain and... The normal dude. I want to watch that one, but it's not on Netflix or Crunchyroll. Konosuba, yeah, that's that's the best isekai going into fantasy world fucking anime that exists because it makes fun of all the tropes of all the other ones. Yeah, so I started watching Kill la Kill. It is also extraordinarily cringe. Does it get better? Like, I understand that it's meant to satirize a lot of tropes in other anime, but why did they expressly say that the main chick was 16? And then put her in that sexual outfit. I was just like, this wasn't very good before that point, and now this just feels weird. I don't find it funny though, it's, it, I, I find it just, I just find it cringy. Like, they're fictional characters, right? So like, they don't really have an age. As in, if you... If you had said that the main character was 873, she still could have acted the same way. It's just, like, there was, there's no reason to specify the age. If you get what I'm saying. Like, you could have specified any age at all and kept the character exactly the way that they are. So why specify the age being that young? I guess because they're meant to be in this high school thing or whatever, but... Like, like, that, that isn't a deal breaker for me in terms of the series. If the series was funny or interesting, sure, but it, it just... The, the, the idea of these armors drinking blood or whatever, and the chick herself having, like, no fucking real talents. Because I've only seen the first three episodes, and the suit being like, yeah, this is our power, like, it's... It, it's the combination of the both of us that gives us... makes you able to do this power, and I'm like, fuck off. It's the suit. The, the chick sucked before the suit. And so, I, like, I, I don't like mech anime and stuff like that, right? Where, like, the power comes from an external suit or whatever. I don't like that shit. I like it when the, the main character is the, the actual powerful one or whatever, the capable one or whatever. They, they train and learn and become better and da-da-da. You know? It's kill to kill. It was interesting to see Ludwig did a sponsored deal with Crunchyroll where he watched two episodes of an anime on his live stream. And then I watched the two episodes because he uploaded them both to YouTube. And uh, I watched the rest of the anime. I would have kept watching it, but there was uh, there was no more episodes. Seemed like a, a good deal, really. Depend I suppose it depends how much they were paid. But and I was already a member of Crunchyroll, so... Tim Tams and Wonka Runts. 
Do you like Tim Tams? Everyone likes Tim Tams. It's, it's the law. You've never had Tim Tams? That doesn't matter. Even if you haven't had them, you still like them. I don't love them though. Like, people like get care packages from Australia uh, when they're in other countries and there's be full of different types of Tim Tams. I'm like, dude, they're alright. Like, they're, they're good. Like, you're over somewhere, there's some Tim Tams laid out there, you take a Tim Tam. Like, you gotta take a Tim Tam, but you don't fucking go crazy with it. Like, if Tim Tams would suddenly not exist, I'd be like, eh. Not like fucking runs that do no longer exist, Wonka, assholes. Bring me back the runts from my childhood. They were perfect. They were just pure sugar. You look Tim Tams up and they go, yeah, they're great. They are good. Um, it's, you know, if you like chocolate, they taste good. You can get a 5LB bag of runs on Amazon? No, you can only get the new fucking runs. There have been like five generations of runs, and it was like generation two and three that were amazing. I don't know what exact generations were, were the most amazing ones, but the ones from my childhood are dead. You buy the runs today, and like, one of them is good, two of them are okay, and the other two are like garbage. To explain how good runs were back in the day, guys, what you used to do is go to the movies, and this is back when you couldn't bring in food to the movies, right? So you, you smuggled in food. And so you go in the movies, you buy your tickets, you go down to Kmart, and they'd have every possible candy imaginable. Every single fucking candy. Gummy worms, sour coke balls, all that shit. Like, there's just a whole roll of it. And what I would do is grab one of the cups and fill it, like, three quarters of the way with runs. You give me, as a kid, the world of choice. And three quarters of what I choose. Three quarters of the totality of candy that I'm able to eat in the movies, I choose runts. And then I could put some other stuff on top there, like a few gummy worms or whatever, but the runts were it. Like, I talk about not liking food, and I think the reason for this is because I have never found something as good as the runts were when I was a kid. I can't even remember what they taste like, but I associate them so strongly with happiness. They were balls of happiness. Be sure to like the video and subscribe to my channel, it costs you nothing and I wish you all the best.